Well, the leaders of Ontario's political parties were back out on the campaign trail today trying to build on their messages from last night's election debate. I don't know how many people watched it. Progressive Conservative Doug Ford faced attacks on health care and education from the other three, including Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, NDP leader Andrea Horvath, and the Green Party's Mike Schreiner, who everyone kind of thought did really well last night. Uh, Doug Ford, though, today stuck to his message of building more infrastructure, creating jobs, and making life more affordable. Mr. Del Duca, I just want to remind you, under yourself and the uh, former Premier Kathleen Wynne, you destroyed this province. The economy was going downhill quicker than the Canadian bobsled team. It just continued going down. 300,000 jobs left this province. That's been Doug Ford's line all along. And why not? The uh, progressive Conservatives appear to have a sizable lead in the polling, with the NDP and Liberals still fighting it out to become the official opposition, at least according to the polls. You don't know how right they are. Uh, Here's leader uh, Stephen Del Duca, though, criticizing NDP's Andrea Horvath for going after him instead of Ford. Well, he said basically that uh, every time that... uh, Horvath attacks him. Doug Ford smiles. So will Doug Ford be smiling on June 2nd? Joining me now is Laura Stevenson. She's a professor of political science at Western University and co-director of the Consortium on Electrical Electrical Democracy. Uh, Laura Stevenson, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. I, I know that, uh, that you know, people don't often pay close, close attention to the early weeks of a campaign. Um, but so far, what have we seen? I gather Doug Ford went in with a lead. He seems to be hanging on to it. He, he does, indeed. Um, you know, I think what we've seen is that Doug Ford is saying, listen, guys, I know what I'm doing. You don't want higher taxes. I'm going to stay the course. And the other parties are saying we cannot survive another term of Doug Ford. But they're unfortunately saying very similar things, uh, which means that I think the the public is kind of divided in terms of where do they go if they don't love, like Ford, but aren't sure where else to turn. Uh, Stephen Del Duca, I guess, says the liberals, there's a lot of baggage there after so many years in power. Has he managed to to at least make some gains uh, uh, for a party that found itself in a very dismal third place last time around? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, what I'm seeing in the polls, at least, is that the Liberals are pulling ahead of the NDP, um, not enough to really threaten the Conservatives' lead, but certainly they've narrowed it. And I think this is actually particularly um, relevant because, you know, Del Duca isn't terribly known. He's certainly less well-known than the other leaders. This is his first time um, in an election this way. And I think that the uh, Conservatives are doing their very, very best <laughs> to call them the Del Duca slash win uh, Liberals and trying to bring up the uh, specter maybe of the past that I think really led um, forward to victory in 2018. It's always uh, always convenient at times when leaders point back to, uh, I mean, it's been many years since the Liberals were in power now, but it's always here in BC too, uh, the NDP government here has, has often pointed back to the many, many years the BC Liberals were in power uh, as a way of taking them down. How is Andrea Horvath doing? Because this isn't her first uh, kick at this. Um, and certainly I imagine expectations were there given the second place finish last time. Uh, but she seems to have been, I mean, the NDP at least seemed to be slipping a bit. You know what, it's really interesting to watch the NDP. And I think what we're seeing is this kind of, 
almost, it almost seems like a return to stereotypes for me, right? So the party itself, I think, is, you know, doing, it did well in the last election, and it was the official opposition, and it should have gotten a bit of a kick from that or a a bump. Um, Instead, what we're seeing is it seems that after four years, people are, like, willing to try the Liberals again rather than go to the NDP. And so what I'm hearing in Horvath's messaging is that she's basically saying, you know, this time around, we want to get rid of Ford, so what we want you to do is come to us. And it's really an interesting game. I will call it a game. Um, Not that they're playing a game, but in terms of watching how the the voters move around, this is all about coordination, right? So if you're a non-Ford supporter or an anti-Ford supporter, I guess, then what you're looking to do is say, who's got the best chance of defeating the PC candidate in my riding? And we know there's many others, right? And so what you've got is messaging between Del Duca and Horvath trying to position their party as the right one to choose challenge, of course, is that the right one will not necessarily be the right one for the same number of people. And so it's an interesting kind of strategy that they're they're pursuing here. I mean, you don't want to come out and say, no, no, we're just, in fact, running together. We're going to defeat him together, right? Because individually, they both would like a chance to form government. Um, but nonetheless, the outcome of the strategy of, you know, pursuing their own um, partisan support is that we're seeing this kind of split is it, does it surprise you that that there hasn't been more? I mean, I, I noticed today that the NDP were attacking the Liberals on social media. Has it surprised you at all that they haven't uh, been more united? I mean, I remember back to the Jack Layton federal days, they would never talk about strategic voting. It was never a topic they would talk about publicly. Uh, but are you surprised that in this situation, given the circumstances, that there hasn't been more, uh, shall we say, coordination between the, t- the two main opponents? Well, I mean, here's where it's just a double-edged sword, right? Because, you know, there is a chance that one party could pull ahead and you don't want to give up that chance by throwing in with another party because that throwing in might actually lose you supporters as well. So I don't really envy um, any of these other parties looking to see how they're going to strategize this time around. And it is interesting to me to watch that it's not the NDP pulling ahead, but it does appear to be the Liberals because I think that might speak to a larger partisan base that maybe took a little bit of a hiatus um, in 2018 and is, uh, you know, willing to try again. On the other hand, of course, there's the memory of the Liberal government um, from before that didn't leave a lot of people very happy. And so similar to how to be honest, memories of Bob Ray will still haunt many uh, Ontario NDPers. It's the same kind of thing we're dealing with now for the Liberals. It seems amazing that, that the, Bob Ray's short tenure still haunts that party so many decades later, uh, considering how much, you know, I mean, we speak to him quite often now that he's UN ambassador and so on. Mike Schreiner seems to have been the Green Party leader. They only have the one seat his, uh, but he seems to have been kind of the hands down winner of, la- of the debate last night, as far as I can tell. Uh, would he throw a wrench into anything for those out there who may be undecided, but might not like any of what they're seeing on stage if they don't want to vote for Doug Ford? Yeah, so I see him as having two effects. Um, certainly, yes, one, there could be a, an electoral effect, as in people will say, I don't like the others, I'm going to go with him. Um, and that is going to just complicate, I think, the issue um, and could actually end up benefiting the Conservatives as just the way the um, electoral math might play out. But the other thing I noticed is that a lot of his comments during the debate were very, very issue-focused on climate change. He was very direct. I think he was extremely well-spoken. Um, and I think that that may have a different effect 
effect, right, which could be simply to remind voters of these key and pressing issues. I mean, he was not pulling any punches when he was telling people how important the climate change crisis is. And in that sense, you know, resetting how people are evaluating the party's each of them um, can mean pulling, uh, bringing attention to different aspects of each of the other parties' uh, platforms. Now, what that might mean is that even if they don't vote green, they might start choosing between the other ones based upon their responses and plans for climate change. So what have been the big issues? I mean, from, from an outside, watching it from the outside, obviously roads, uh, uh, affordability issues that we, that we knew would matter. Um, what have been the issues that seem to be registering so far uh, with the public in Ontario? I would say, to be honest, I think there's there's one huge issue and it's affordability. And this trickles through everything, right? Um, so it certainly trickles in terms of housing, which, you know, the cost of housing right now is crazy, right? The cost of gas is crazy. I know we're not unique in that. Um, even things though, like wages in Bill 124 and how that impacts the, the public service and certainly healthcare along those lines. I mean, all of these things together, it's just like cost Living is harder right now, seems to be what people are, are worried about. And it's just about how to get through this. Now, Ford's promises seem to be, you know, we'll build and fix more roads for you. And it'll, you know, improve your commute times and this and that. Whereas the other parties are like, no, we've got these other plans. We want to fix things. We want to refund things that were cut, etc. But then, you know, it comes down to the other issue, which is Ford's like, they're going to hike taxes and we're not, right? So, if you're already worried about affordability, you're like, yeah, I really, really do want those social programs. Maybe I don't care about another highway, but I also don't want my taxes higher. And now the degree to which the, the taxation thing is, you know, actually what would happen, I, I'm not going to speak to you because I would look at all the platforms and the costing, but that's the messaging that's coming out, right? So roads and lower taxes versus more services and maybe, you know, a little bit less in your pocket. I'm speaking with Laura Stevenson, a professor of political science at the University of Western Ontario, co-director of the Consortium on Electoral Democracy. We're talking about, uh, we're getting an update on the Ontario election, a debate last night, a leader's debate that uh, seemed to not do much damage to Doug Ford, who's clearly in the lead. Uh, Mike Schreiner, the Green Party leader, was sort of the the, the unofficial winner, uh, according to the according to the pundits afterwards. But much like the Bloc Québécois uh, in, in the federal election English uh, debate, at least, it seems maybe he didn't have as much to lose, so was out there being able to. Uh, to be a bit more loose, if we can use that, that term. After this, um, one of the interesting developments so far has been where is the labor, where are unions putting their support? Uh, because Doug Ford's progressive conservatives have gotten some backing and they're certainly holding that over the NDP. We'll get to that after this. I'm speaking with Laura Stevenson, Professor of Political Science at the University of Western Ontario, co-director of the Consortium on Electoral Democracy. Uh, we're talking about the latest on the uh, Ontario election, of course, Canada's most populous province, its biggest province. Um, and, uh, you know, this so far has been a campaign that's kind of flown under the radar, but there was a big uh, debate, leaders debate uh, last night. Uh, this union uh, support, labor support thing has been interesting because certainly Doug Ford's been uh, touting uh, the support that he's gotten from certain labor unions as a bit of a cudgel against the NDP. What's behind that, do you think? I think what we're just saying is that some of the uh, expectations maybe people have about how groups in society are aligning, um, Ford's using this as kind of a, a red flag, right? So if you're a union supporter, don't believe that the NDP is necessarily the right one for you, I think is what he's doing, essentially. Um, you know, it's interesting to see. I don't, the unions, of course, aren't 
um, monolithic in terms of their preferences and, and which parties they're going to support. And we know there's many other reasons that unions may have uh, groupings of, of individuals with similar mindsets that might prefer one party over another. And I think what we're seeing is that the unions are kind of dividing up in terms of where they're going to throw their support. Um, but I'd also say that maybe the, in my mind anyways, a uh, union um, affiliations, I guess, I think are a little bit less of a necessarily strong voting um, marker these days. And so while you see some of that, I think we also see a lot more diversification in the population where group voting tends not to be the be all and end all. The public sector was a big, uh, it felt like a big issue going into this campaign, specifically with uh, with the cap in raises at 1% uh, passed by uh, the Ford government back in 2019. That combined with the cost of living and affordability and inflation, uh, has that come up as, as an issue at all? Is, is that uh, Has that been something we've seen? It feels like we haven't seen a lot of it, although it is mentioned. So I think what we see is that it overlaps with other issues related to healthcare and particularly nursing uh, shortages and things like that, um, because it's those, those are the public servants who are, I think, most feeling this, right? They're the heroes of the pandemic who <laughs> have yet to receive any kind of recognition for their efforts and they're further hindered um, by this bill. And so I think we it comes up, but it's, it's a wrapped part and parcel. So the interesting thing um, for me about this election is that the people who are are predisposed to dislike Doug Ford or the exact same people who were predisposed to dislike him before. And in fact, what he's done is maybe um, confirmed or cemented the cleavages rather than diversified them or added to them with some of the actions that he's done. Are people paying attention just yet? I mean, we always talk about sort of we're going into a long weekend, families will get together, they'll start talking about the election, perhaps they'll decide, you know, the undecideds will decide. Uh, but do you get the sense that people are engaged? I mean, it feels like an awfully important election. We're coming out of a pandemic. Uh, you know, there is this whole notion of having to build back better, jumpstart the economy, make sure uh, public servants, nurses in particular, are okay, that healthcare systems are resilient. Uh, but it doesn't feel like it's carried that sort of import right now. You know, it's hard because this is what I study. So for me, it's very much coming up and it's top of mind. Um, at the same time, you know, I think people are just overwhelmed and exhausted by, I'll say, by life right now, right? Just managing, you know, to put gas in your tank to be able to drive to work is becoming more and more challenging. Um, and I think people are dealing with a lot of these different issues. I think this election has been long anticipated by those who have not enjoyed Ford's leadership. And this was even before the pandemic. Um, and so in my mind, I'm not seeing a lot of movement now. Perhaps I'm not talking to the right people. Um, and that's possible, right? It's those undecided voters, I think, that are actually going to make the most difference. And here again, it, it feels very, very similar to me to, uh, you know, back several years for the anything but conservative movement at the federal level. I think that's what we're seeing more of. Um, same kinds of cleavages too, given how Ontario recreates for the most part the federal party system and in that sense we're just you know i think people are still trying to work things out a little bit right if del duca was better known perhaps or if horvath was was doing more to differentiate her party from the liberals perhaps i mean maybe things would be a little bit different but at this point you know it seems to be there's two camps the four ford or against four <laughs> right and uh it's, it's going to come down to how the against Ford group uh, really chooses to, to park their vote. It feels like uh, the progressive conservatives at least have decided that this is, if this is going to be a referendum on Doug Ford, they're fine with that, uh, so far at least. 
You know, it's, it's interesting to think about, right? I mean, you know, Ontario's come through the pandemic. I'm hoping we're through the pandemic. Uh, I'd say, you know, relatively well. Certainly there's mistakes, which, you know, Ford admits, right? Um, but there's also wins. And so I don't think we're on the worst end, the worst end or the best end. And, you know, regardless, you know, he did provide leadership and, and we did get largely through. Um, and so that's something in many ways that he could almost play up more. It's, all, it's surprising to me a little bit that he's playing not in fact, playing it up more. It's very much focused on the future. It's hard to know to what extent this is about strategic messaging um, because of their own expectation of who their electorate is, uh, you know, whether they're just trying to shore up support from those who they think are their kind of guaranteed voters or whether they're trying to appeal more broadly. It does seem, though, that, you know, affording our lives is the, the message. They just have two different ways of saying that we should go about doing it, Right. And what will you be looking for uh, in the last few weeks of this election? We're heading quickly towards uh, June the 2nd. Yeah, so what I'm going to be watching a little more quickly is who attacks whom, <laughs> right. right? So, I mean, pretty pretty early out of, on the start, we saw Ford um, naming it the Del Duca win liberals, right? And so let's let's bring that back. Let's remind people that they don't want to go liberals. We don't see a lot of Ford attacking the NDP, which is a really interesting one, right? So we see the NDP, however, having to fight on two fronts as well. And so this is what's interesting to me is to see how the parties um towards the left are going to differentiate themselves and whether that's going to have resonance with the public. That's really going to be, I think, the deciding factor. But, you know, we're heading into advanced polls, right? <laughs> They're yeah. almost open. And once you vote, you vote. So it's, uh, you know, it's interesting to think about how many people actually are undecided, how many people are, in fact, going to be voting early. We know the trend is that many, many more go to advanced polls rather than election day. So, how much of the election is actually left, right? It's a it's an interesting dance between what the parties are trying to do and what they think is having resonance versus when voters are like, yeah, I know enough. I'm just casting my vote. That's it. So um, it'll be interesting to watch the outcome. Laura Stevenson, as always, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me.